Our message today is taken from uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 20, 18 to 21, and chapter 25, 8 and 9, and chapter uh, 40, verses 34 to 38. All the people perceived the thunder, and the lightning flashes, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But let not God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in, in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance, while Moses approached the thick clouds where God was. Exodus 25 let them construct a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I am going to show you, as the, as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture. Just so you shall construct it. Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Praise God for the reading of his word. You may now be seated. Isa pong magandang umaga sa inyong lahat. Good morning. We are now in the discussion of the tabernacle, and we will explain what that is. And I believe many of you, when we required you, or some of you out of your own hearts wanted to study or read through the Bible, you would find this in Exodus about this tent, this huge tent, this tabernacle, which was, uh, which was like the forerunner of the temple that Solomon built. But then we will dis discuss the significance of this small building in Exodus, its significance to Christ. Whenever we read the Old Testament, we must have the lens that is Christ-centered. Remember, in Luke chapter 24, he taught his disciples after his resurrection everything concerning himself in the law and the prophets. Everything concerning himself. The Torah is part, is the law. When they say the law, it's the Torah with narratives. So everything we see here has a significance or we call a shadow of Christ. For the old covenant was a shadow, but Christ is the substance of that shadow. You have a shadow that is not really you, but it is part of you. That shadow will not exist if you do not exist. 
But when I see your shadow, I know you are there. But you are not really your shadow. You are you, so I do not speak to your shadow. But sometimes if your shadow is all I see, at least I know you exist, that you are there. Christ is the very substance of the shadow of the Old Testament. So the title of today's message is A Dwelling Place. And it is the dwelling place of God. A dwelling place. Once God walked with man in the garden. You remember the story. In the cool of the day, God would walk with Adam. And they had fellowship. Walking together. They had fellowship. And you know, I realized walking with some people, literal walking, somehow develops a certain level of friendship. When I was in Ateneo High School in Manila, it was the farthest of all in the property from the entrance. The grade school was not so far from the main entrance. The college was somewhere a little farther than the, high, than the grade school, but the high school was at the end. Siguro nasa dulo kasi kung sutil kami, hindi kami madaling tumakas. Ano? Sa layo. It wasn't easy to cut classes. It was very far. Several kilometers away. Now, some of us uh, walk to the entrance. Some of us are fetched there by our parents. Some of us take the public transportation. So after classes, we walk because there were very few tricycles that would come to the high school campus. So a few of my classmates, we would walk kilometers and we would discuss many things. We'd review the day, funny things. We'd remember some lessons. We talk about the latest game we had in the intramurals or even the latest TV show in the very few channels we had then. We did not have cable then. But somehow these people that I walked with, I have formed a friendship. Then after a while, I saw this subject. It's a subject being studied. And I believe also in Ateneo de Manila, the sociology of walking. The sociology of walking. The study of society when walking. <laughs> I didn't take the course, but somehow it made me think. There's something about walking together, not rushing it, but just engaging in conversation. And somehow that is one way I believe that is good to pray and fellowship with God. I know we pray at times, we bow down our heads and knees to pray and worship Him because of who He is. But at times to walk with God as a friend and speak to Him and, and be reminded of His Word through the Holy Spirit is a manner in which one can, can do. And Adam experienced that, walking with God. But because of sin, and we know the story, Adam and Eve sinned. It was highlighted that sin, yes, Eve was deceived by the serpent. But Adam did nothing. He was a curious spectator beside Eve. So in a sense, he was agreeing to it. He did nothing, even though the command was given to him. He allowed it to happen. Because of sin, God drove man 
out of his presence for the sake of man. Remember this, that after they sinned, they realized they were naked and they felt ashamed. They could no longer be transparent and walk with God in a transparent manner. They could not face God. So when God came, God already knew. So he said, Adam, where are you? I hid because I was naked. Now there was shame. There was some shame and he could not be transparent before God. And that is what sin does to us. Then God, for the sake of man, because of the shame, man could not look at God directly. For the sake of man, God said, leave the garden. Of course, there is some theology in it that says that man, after biting death, could not bite life. Because if he bites life, he would become a living dead. Easy for the today's audience to understand because of all these vampire and zombie movies, right? So they've eaten death. If they eat life, they would have death eternally. Therefore, they have for the good of man, God said to man, leave the garden. Man could not bear the glory of the holiness of God because God is pure and holy and God does not like sin. And whenever we, if ever, face the presence of God, and if we are not covered in Christ, then we will feel shame. But even as believers, when, if ever, we do sin, we feel shame. If you do not, my first question is, are you truly a believer if you have no shame in sin? If you're not disturbed by sin, my question is, are you truly a believer? Did somebody lie to you and say to you, you're a Christian? But in reality, you have not repented of your sin. Paul said, I have preached the gospel unashamedly, preaching repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Or did people just tell you, just follow this prayer and accept Christ without really explaining what that means, which means repentance, by the way, then if you do not have any shame, then you do not understand Christ. For sin must bring shame. Sin must bring a heaviness upon us. Even as believers, we feel it. We're ashamed of it. But through Christ, we repent of it and we are cleansed. But if you continue willfully living in that sin, either maybe you are a believer and you're in a stubborn state or you are never a believer after all. Because no sin disturbed you. It's so easy for you to lie. The fear of man is greater in your life. You know the fear of man? That's why people lie. The fear of man. What, what will they say if they find out? What will they re how will they react if they find the fear of man? But if your fear of God is greater, your shame before God is greater than man, I believe those are proper emotions we should have before God. God is holy. 
but God desired to dwell with his people. So he drove out man, but still God wanted to dwell with his people, but not directly. And man cannot directly survive it. So God gives glimpses of himself in the Old Testament, glimpses of himself, a little of himself, but not fully, though it is the desire even of Moses to see God fully, yet he did, but not fully, until perhaps the last part where God showed his backside when Moses asked for it. Now, God wanted to dwell with his people. He would initiate a covenant with Israel. And he would dwell in their midst within the tabernacle. What is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement. It's a divine agreement. We call marriage as a marriage covenant until today. In modern terms, we call it a contract. But in the Bible, when we say covenant, it is God who is involved, a covenant with God. We call marriage a covenant because it is a vow made before God. God is involved. That's why we take marriage seriously. In the same way, covenant with man, God has initiated that. A covenant with Abraham to promise him a people that his descendants will be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And that is happening through Christ. God made a covenant with Israel, and that we have discussed in the past few Sundays, and even before we took a break in discussing Exodus. Now, since Adam, since Adam, God would once again dwell with man, but not in the same way as the garden but enough to identify them as his people. His presence, God's presence, identified Israel as his people. One day, God would indwell every believer, which is now is that era and season, and every follower, which could only happen through his son. The tabernacle shows shadows of Christ, who will make a way for those who believe. What is a tabernacle? It is a tent, literally a tent. The tabernacle is a tent, but the presence of God dwells there. And he instituted a pattern of worship, a pattern of sacrifice, as a shadow of who is to come, Christ, the Son of God. And that we will discuss in the next few Sundays, that pattern. The pattern is important. By understanding the pattern of the tabernacle, we understand also Christian life today. Why these elements are important. Why do we begin with repentance? Why do we begin with having faith in his sacrifice? Why is the next thing important, the word of God? Why should we be cleansed by the word of God and sanctified by the word of God? Why do we have a covenant with each other? Why? Why, why is the Holy Spirit necessary and important? Why do we worship him in spirit and in truth? And what is the presence of God? What does it mean for us today? 
all these things we will see and analyze through the coming Sundays. But today, it's an overview of the dwelling place of God. So, number one, let us be reminded, the people asked Moses to speak on behalf of God. They were afraid of his presence because they heard the trumpet and thunder and they saw smoke and lighting. It was pretty, very scary stuff. You know, when I was meditating on this again, I remembered those images I saw online of the eruption of Ta'al. You know, the beautiful chaos, when you see these clouds and the, the thunder and electricity uh, and, and light at night. I mean, the photos were beautiful, but it was terrible. It was a terrible experience, but the sight of it was glorious. Yet if you lived near it, it was terrible. The presence of God is something like that, only maybe add a thousand times more terrible. Therefore, the Israelites said, uh, can Moses, can you be just the one to speak to us? Because what we're experiencing, we cannot approach him. His awesome presence was too much to bear. Therefore, the solution was a tabernacle. A tabernacle. God would dwell among his people in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a movable tent set amid the tribes of Israel. Do we have a picture of that? I borrowed this from thetorah.com. So in the midst of the tents, now I don't think this is the, how they really did tents then. This looks more like a teepee, okay, from Indians. I'm not sure if that is accurate, but you can be sure that the tabernacle is in the middle and here is, is the brazen altar and the brazen laver and there are several in furniture still inside the tabernacle. So, and the smoke is the altar of incense. What cannot be depicted there is the glory cloud, which is perhaps something like a mist that comes down and comes up. When it is time to move, it rises and everybody sees it and everybody folds their tent and they continue on the journey. Then it stops somewhere and then the tabernacle will be set up and the cloud of glory would come down and everybody will settle. The tabernacle was a movable tent. Now his glory filled the tent after the construction. And we've read that in chapter 40. After the construction, the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Now, it's tricky when you read Exodus because it's a compilation of different writings. Moses is not the sole author of the, old, of the Torah. He is we, what we would call an editor and, and collector. The ones who collated the different uh, writings there. Please take note. When we study the Bible, we believe the Bible is true based on what it affirms. That's why we study the intents of the author. The intents of the author can be deciphered through the text, even though there are minor differences in the text, like Matthew and Luke may have minor differences, because we are not looking at the infallibility of the word based on these details. We are looking at the intent of the author, which is infallible. 
That's why any scholar who speaks about, you see, you see, there's a contradiction. That author doesn't know, or that scholar is looking at one aspect, but not looking at the intents of the author. Because if you combine the intents of the author, that is where the harmony is. That's where you will find from old to the new, somehow it is tied together. And some of them had different intents. The one who wrote Chronicles has different intent to the one who wrote Ecclesiastes. Yet tie it all together. The affirmation and the intents are clear. I just said that for those who, are, who like reading scholastic stuff when it comes to Scripture. But for us, we have to understand that the tabernacle was made for God's presence and for God to lead Israel. And as we study Exodus, we see different angles of it, yet the intents are the same. There was a tabernacle. The glory of God dwelled in the tabernacle. And the, the presence of God through the cloud of glory led the people where they should go. Point number three. God gave instructions that Israel should build a tabernacle according to the pattern that he showed. In chapter 25, verse 9, it's clear. According to the pattern. Please do not forget or always remind yourself of that word. There is a pattern. Scripture has a pattern. The Christian life has a pattern. Understanding God Understanding Christ, the reason, the why, even in, the, even in church life, Scripture shows a pattern that if we follow it, we should follow it this way. And there is beauty in those patterns. Now, God gave instructions. Now, every detail was necessary because of its meaning. Why purple and why red? It's, it was that detailed. Uh, why, uh, why the brazen laver is made from mirrors? And why do you put water there? It's a pattern. It has a purpose. Not only in the ritual of that day, but it has a purpose in our Christian life today. I have mentioned to you why we study the Old Testament is so that we can appreciate the new. The New Testament, because many parts of the New Testament, many statements there were written, had its foundation or root in the Old Testament. Therefore, if you don't understand it, this, the Old Testament, then you would, you would always question in the New, uh, why is he called the Lamb of God? Okay. Now, sometimes, because of translation, and uh, some may agree or not agree, like in Alaska, or in the North Pole, okay. So they brought, they translated the Bible to the language of the people who lived in the North Pole and the people who lived in these cold countries. And then when they first read the Bible and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, here's one problem. They've never seen Lamb before. No internet yet then, okay. They've never seen Lamb before. So they couldn't understand whoa, whoa, whoa. What's a, what's a lamb? Of course, they would understand if the teachers would teach him, okay, 
Here's a picture. It lived in that part of the world where it's warm. Okay? So they sacrificed this animal. In the, it happened in, in Egypt. It also happened in the pattern of the tabernacle. That was the first thing that happens. Every, every year, people would sacrifice something there. An animal, an innocent animal because of their sin. In place of their sin, they kill the innocent animal. It's a typification of Christ. No sin, but absorbed our guilt. So in the North Pole, some translated it as seal. S-E-A-L, the, the animal. He is the seal of God. I would have thought penguin was more fun. Uh, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, some might agree with that to make them understand, but I don't, don't, I don't agree because the purpose of studying history to make people understand what it is now. There is a pattern. Now, the point again is every detail was necessary. God is in the details. There's a popular saying in in planning and in business and in organization. Uh, the popular saying is the devil is in the details. Meaning if you're planning something, watch the details because if something goes wrong, it's because you missed one detail, okay? Yeah, in an airplane, if one, one window is loose, uh, it's chaos in the airplane, okay? So if somebody's trying to open the window in their airplane because they want some air, okay, that's really chaotic. And then the window opens. Every detail is important. However, when I searched, the origin of the phrase, the origin of the idiom, the devil is in the details, I found one article that says the original was actually God is in the details. Therefore, watch the details. I like that better. God is in the details. Application. Let's talk about details first. One, let us pay close attention to the details of our lives. Our God is into the details. We have to structure our lives according to the pattern that God showed us in his word. How we speak, how we think, how we dress up, who do we associate with, how do we choose our friends, and more importantly, how do we choose our spouse, how do we serve, how do we use our money, I believe it is important that we must submit every detail to God. Because God is in the details. Is this God's will? We ask. If you eat greasy animal every day, is it God's will for you to eat bad every day? God is in the details. Then you get sick. Then you pray, Lord, heal me, Lord, heal me but you did not take care of your own body. Mm. 
God is in the details. Therefore, how we manage our time, how we manage our energy, is it right? Will it glorify God? You know that in companies, the bosses and managers are very, some of them look at the details. For example, if you are in an eight to five work and then you somehow are playing solitaire with your computer, your bosses would get upset. Why are you doing that? There's so many things to do. You have not submitted this. And you have not submitted that. Why are you doing that? Because they mind the details. Because we are paid according to our time sometimes. Details are important. Professors. I'm a professor. I mind the details. If you did not follow my instructions, I'll give you zero. Because you missed the detail. Of course, I give a second chance. I say, you did not follow the instructions. Do it again. I give you 24 hours. But the best you can get is a passing mark. That's all. Because this should be zero. Because I mind the details. Now, at times, how we live our lives will affect our future. What you do today, what you do today affects who you will be in the future. If you're a learner, then I would believe you will grow in learning. And I could see a glimpse of your future self. If you're lazy, then I can see a glimpse of your future self. If you get high grades, then I see your future self. But if grades is all you see, you did not apply it. Meaning, while learning, you don't know its significance in the world. I also see your future. You're a person who is an honor student, but can't make it work in real life. Do you know that's true? There's some who graduate mechanical engineering. They're so bright. But if you ask them to make their own machine, suddenly there's a gap. Uh, I said, can you make your own engine? Car engine. Suddenly there's a gap. They can repair, but they can't make. There's a gap. You could see the future yourself of what you do now. If you invest time in the Word of God in prayer, somehow we also see that future. What does that mean? You will grow strong in the Lord. What does that mean? God will send you trials to test you. And if you pass those trials and tests, it takes you to the next level and the next, and the next, until you become so useful in the kingdom of God. But if you never pass one test, your emotions never grow, your mindset never changes, then you are stuck there for a long time. You could see the future. If you're always going into counseling and it's the same thing after 10 years, no wonder you're still there. Because you did not mind the details of your life. Every emotion counts. I have to master every emotion I feel. Some people think I am a Stoic. You know what the Stoic is? Well, it's a philosophy, Greek philosophy. No, I am not a Stoic. Because the Stoics are those who were sort of the good men. But in the Bible, nobody is good, right? Why were they called good men? The opposite of being a Stoic is being a hedonist. What's a hedonist? You give in to every pleasure that you seek. You give in. You say yes to every pleasure you seek. The opposite was a Stoic, meaning 
They want to have self-control. They want to exercise uh, their intelligence more than their base feelings. That's more of a stoic. So a stoic sometimes feels less. They train their emotions to feel less and to think more. So I say to people, I'm not a stoic because I'm passionate in Christ. I'm passionate about what I preach. I try to have that self-control when what? When I am tempted against the word of God. When my emotions try to come in like, like things that is not pleasing to God, that's when I suddenly try to feel less. When I want something very bad, but I feel like I'm beginning to obsess over it, that's when I cut it. But not like the Stoics, who do it in their own strength. We do it by what? Humbling ourselves before God and say, Lord, change my emotions, Lord. Change my mind. I want to be as close to your perspective versus mine. Well, God doesn't have a perspective. He is the all-knowing God. Let me align to your thoughts and your will. Not my emotions. Not how I think. But you. That's why I try my best not to react. We act. We lessen the immediate reactions. Bucket! Huh? Before I used to react a lot. And those were the images of me once upon a time. But now, I take a deep breath. I take a deep breath. And I try to tame my mind. And I try to tame the emotions. How? In the quietness in his presence. That is the only way. Sometimes I fail. And as God's forgiveness, if suddenly my, my emotion became impatient, or I did nothing. You know that's the opposite? Some do nothing. Every detail... Every detail, every detail. Number two, the Spirit of God dwells in us and leads us. Wow, praise God. I hope you appreciate this. In the Old Testament, you would never see there that God indwelt somebody as the Holy Spirit indwells us today. You will never see it. You would see the tabernacle there. You would see the Spirit somehow engaging some people, giving the word of the Lord to them. You'll see that in the Old Testament, but not like today. So what we have today is better than what Adam had, better than what the Israelites had. If our conversion is real, if our repentance and faith is true, the Holy Spirit comes in, changes our hearts, regenerates us. And we now desire to live according to the life he wants us to live. We want to live in holiness. We want to follow God's word. We are hungry for God's word because the Holy Spirit now leads us. One sign if you're truly saved by grace is that the Holy Spirit has changed your heart. That's why you cannot change yourself. No man can. 
And how does change happen? Boom! Holy Spirit comes. He can change you now. Suddenly something changed within. It is a supernatural act of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. If you don't think you ever had that, then you humble down before the Lord alone. Say, Lord, save me. I tried to repent, but I have no power on my own. But I decide to repent. I decide to follow you. But Holy Spirit, change me. The true assurance of salvation is when you know the Spirit changed you within. And Romans 8 says, the mindset on the Spirit makes you desire the things of the Spirit. But if it's on the flesh, if you desire the fleshly things, you desire only the earthly things. And that is the big difference of a true saint of God, a true believer. Because a person cannot save himself, cannot change himself. Oh, not, not the heart. Only God can do that. So if we are surprised by the changes in some believers' lives, in Christ, that's the normal thing. So what do we do? As shepherds, we just tell them the truth. This is what the Bible said. We bring them, we lead them to repentance. We tell them to repent, turn away from your sin, have faith in Christ. But then, do not assure them of salvation. Let the Holy Spirit do that. Oh, Sebkana, really? You said that? You're really sure? I hope you are saved by now. But I will not assure you. The Spirit Himself will assure you within you. But if you have doubts, go to the Scriptures. And go to God in prayer. If somebody said you're saved because of a liturgical sinner's prayer, or it's not liturgical, but some treat it that way, you won't find that in Scripture. What you would find in Scripture is repent, believe, and what? The Holy Spirit seals us. The Holy Spirit transforms us. So we set our minds in the spirit who leads us in the ways of God and not into carnality, not the ways of the world. His spirit also signifies that we belong to him. We belong to him. And number three, in ancient times, God dwelt in a tent and the temple to be with his people. Let us praise God for he indwells us, assuming we are real followers in the faith. Let us also praise God for his presence. Because when his people assembles, take note of this, it still happens that the presence of God, somehow you sense it more when we assemble together, right? There's still something different when we gather as a church. I know we all listen to the, the Facebook preaching, all right? When we didn't gather for a few months. But everybody knows there's something still different. Whether you'll know there's something different. Because God's presence somehow, somehow, there's a taste of God's presence when we gather together as a people, as believers. Let us then continue to gather in his name, for he dwells among us as his people. And I'm glad you're here. We're taking every 
thing we can. We thank God for, for Brother Doy, Sister Vina, and the other parts of the team, the sacrifices of the ushers and the other volunteers to make it safe for all of us. We open the windows in between services to let, to let the wind just flow through. Uh, we sanitize the chairs after every service. We're doing our best so we can gather safely. For those who have not come here, I would like to say to you, if you have complications in your body and you want to be safe, it's better that you stay at home. But if you're healthy as a bull, and you would go to groceries, you would go to malls, being exposed to the virus, and not come to church, I'd like to say to you, you're not afraid of the risk there? And you're more afraid of the risk here? We don't even sing now. For what purpose? Because when everybody's singing, you know, <laughs> the explosion in the air is stronger. I know we miss that. We miss singing. Maybe one day we should gather into an open air uh, large place so we can really sing with all our faces covered and our masks still there. We don't know. But when we gather as a people, remember that somehow the presence of God is there. That somehow, yes, there's something different when we gather as a people. Remember the dwelling place of God. You are the dwelling place of God if you're a true believer. And we are the dwelling place of God as a local church community. That's why it is necessary to gather. Let us all stand and let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for once upon a time you dwelled in tents to be with your people. We sense, we understand your desire to be with your people. And it's true that Adam sinned and you have driven him out of the garden, yet you still want to be with your people. You are a loving God, but you are also holy. You are holy. And humans, guilty humans, cannot stand before you. Yet we thank you through Christ, the ultimate sacrifice that allows us to enter the Holy of Holies that allows us to enter your presence. But moreover, through the death and suffering of Christ and his resurrection, you sent your spirit to dwell within. Teach us to treat your Holy Spirit with respect. Teach us to respect the presence within us. With the thoughts we think and the feelings we have, Holy Spirit, comfort us, guide us, lead us, but teach us not to tolerate what is sin, that we may have the proper way of thinking and feeling. Teach us to speak of your truth and your truth first. Your truth high above else. For it's the truth of the gospel that saves. And it begins with repentance. Teach us to be bold to preach repentance. Teach us not to be afraid to tell people you must turn away from your sins in Christ. And have faith in Christ. Teach us to be bold. Not afraid of the suffering. Not afraid if they persecute us. For such is your way. For such you commanded us.
Let our desire is to speak your truth that people may come to you. Let our desire is to speak the truth so people may repent of their sins. That they may live right before you. That you can take them to the next level of their Christian life, of the next level of their maturity. Teach us to be instrumentals, instruments of you. Instrumental in everything that you want to do on earth. For we are your dwelling place. We are your people. And we are unashamed. Be glorified and be honored, Lord, in every dwelling place here. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. May the presence of His Holy Spirit fill you every day. May the Spirit convict all of us of sin, yet comfort us at the same time. May the Holy Spirit teach us and guide us into all truth. Yet, may we submit to the leading of the Spirit and the Word. May the Lord's protection be upon you in this season. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Palapakan natin ang Panginoon.